Welcome to the Grace Fellowship Church of Ephrata podcast. Our desire is to help you grow in your journey with Jesus, no matter where you are. For more information, please check out our website at www.gfchurch.net. Chris Harding is one of our friends, Suzanne, his wife. Both of them served in our youth ministry in Baltimore. Uh, We love these guys to death. Uh, We have a lot of stories and a lot of history with them. Uh, Just talk about a a power couple in the church there. I mean, both very involved. They endured me as a youth pastor. They were my youth leaders. Uh, It's amazing. But uh, Chris now uh, is getting the opportunity uh, to do two things. I'll read his bio in a second. He is, first off, a pilot with Southwest. He's a captain. So uh, he did not fly in, if you're wondering. Uh, but uh, also gets to serve at Perry Hall Baptist on their staff now. It's been cool to watch how he came about that and became a part of that. So I'm going to read a little bit of his bio here. I won't tell any um, jokes uh, in the meantime that I could, but I won't. Uh, Sometimes at peace and sometimes at war, Chris has been blessed to participate in the miracle of flight for all of his adult life. But he will tell you that his real passions are investing in his kids loving his wife, communicating God's magnificent plan to redeem the world, and Mexican food. He wrote it. I didn't. Uh, (laughs) If you have to know. Uh, Chris and Suzanne are on the verge of their 30th anniversary and couldn't be prouder of their four adult sons, all of which survived my youth ministry and all the weird things we did. Uh, A retired naval aviator. Chris is a captain at Southwest, but he gets to put his heart into God's church via his role as the associate pastor for family ministry at Perryall Baptist Church, about an hour or so south of us. So uh, I have been looking forward to have him come up and share. He's actually going to be speaking on Nehemiah. It's cool how this all worked out, Nehemiah t- uh, chapter 11. But Chris, if you would come on up, floor is yours. Don't s- No embarrassing stories. I paid you well. Okay. Yeah, I'll take the clicker. Thank you so much. Good to be with you, uh, friends and Jesus followers. Uh, Get a scan of who I'm dealing with here. Um, It's interesting when you get invited to speak somewhere and you don't know the people well. You just know you're you're walking into some uh, some people who you have something deeply in common with, brothers and sisters in Christ, and you're praying the whole time, not knowing that what you have to say that day, what God's put in your heart, is going to intersect with their lives. And so my firm conviction uh, before we get started is that what I have to say today matters to you because God has something for you today. Whether you are, um, I see a handful of younger people, whether you are seven, eight, nine, 15 years old, and I have a feeling there's probably a few people who are 75 years old in this room and maybe a few, few years north of that. So uh, I'm somewhere in the middle. And uh, even as we were singing today, um, and uh, Beth, nice work, I almost requested um, the, uh, the, you know, may the Lord bless you and keep you, but you, right in your hip pocket, you had it ready to go. So right on topic, um, I'm going to pray before I uh, lose track and I just start storytelling and uh, we'll get started. Um, let's bow your heads with me. Father, it is good to be in your house. Lord, we need to be here. We need to be refreshed. We need to be in your presence. We need to be with your people. We need to sing. Lord, you know that uh, every single person in this room has about a dozen different thoughts zooming through their head, things to do, things that are weighing on them, baggage that they brought in, uh, maybe, Lord, even something they're looking forward to this afternoon. And 
Lord, I am asking uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit if you would just allow us to set those aside in a world that doesn't really equip us very well to be silent before you. Would you just, by the, just by your presence, cause us to quiet for a few moments and consider what you have for us today in Nehemiah. Father, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you and in your sight. You are our rock. You are our redeemer. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, here we go. So I have, uh, I have all sorts of things to say. Um, first of all, Dan is not going to ask someone that doesn't like him to talk. So I like Dan. Suzanne likes Dan. We love Beth. We, we, we love their kids. And um, I do, uh, this is gratuitous, but I'm going to put it up there for a reason. So this is us. This was us last uh, June. This is the Hardings. Um, and uh, the four boys have a picture at the end too. And, and I'm showing it to you for a reason. One, because we are good looking. And you need to know that. Okay. All right. You have pictures like this up your house. So this was, uh, this was the wedding rehearsal day for the guy on the left. That's Josh. And the reason I put it up here, and Dan's stealing my thunder a little bit, but he was doing it in a humble way. I am deeply grateful to this man because all four of those boys know Jesus Christ in a saving way. And more, almost, maybe not more important than that, but like almost more exciting than that is that they love him. And they are, they, they bear his name. They are Christ followers. And, uh, and they are on the verge, um, two of them on the left married, and the two on the right, we're, we're trying to get them kicked out the door and get them married too. Um, but uh, that was a really joyous day. And days like that remind you of everything that got you there. And these two were instrumental in getting them there. Um, Zach, uh, who has the, the plaid jacket, he was about a year older than Gavin, when Dan and he first met, and uh, and he's a he's a naval officer now, and uh, married, and 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 I'm telling you, uh, you are blessed to have these two um, leading you. Uh, I believe they are uh, the visionaries that God gave you, um, but I am telling you today that you are all visionaries, and that is um, what we are all about. I, real quick, do you do you guys know about this? The, so I was the youth. Uh, it was a little it was a complicated story. It doesn't really matter. I was a youth pastor a few years after Dan was the youth pastor at Perry Hall Baptist, and I got to uh, do ministry in this beautiful building we call the refinery. And when you become a youth pastor, you join like all these Facebook groups and you see what other people have to deal with. And uh, there are some, you know, we're kind of a medium-sized church. You guys are kind of a medium-sized church in America. There's, there's, there's definitely a significant group of small churches and some mega churches we always hear about. Um, but the, 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 the facility that we got to operate in raised money, uh, God's people raised the money. We didn't put on any debt. It came out of people's pockets. And the reason why is because we were running out of space because Dan took over a ministry that had maybe a dozen kids who were not particularly excited about being there on a Wednesday night and it grew and exploded and we had it in a little classroom and we had 85 people and it was sweaty and it was smelly and it smelled like seventh graders and, uh, and someone said, if we're gonna, we, we have to get a room that smells less like seventh graders. So we built this really nice building and, and to this day, I'm great. I walk into that room and we use it for so many things and it was Dan's vision that ignited something uh, among us that led to that ministry building and, and buildings matter. Brick, bricks and mortar aren't as important as souls, but, but it, it's a way we serve um, God's people. This is where we're going to start today. How well can you read that? Hang in with me. I'm going to read it for you if you can't. Some man named Alexander White, 19th century Scottish preacher, a little bit of a checkered theology. I'm not asking you to be disciples of Alexander White today, but he did say a lot of wise things. He said, the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. 
And I look out at the crowd today and I see people in various stages of life. Um, I see some people who, like, like I mentioned before, have a few more laps around the sun than I do, and I, have a, I see a bunch of people that have a few less laps. But here's what I know about following Jesus, that if you are not different today than you were a year ago, that's concerning. That if you are alive in Christ, what do alive things do? If we were in a ninth grade biology class, what do alive things do? What's one word? They grow. They change, they develop, they mature. And so if we are not recognizing that as we progress along, even at 52, even at 72 and on, that there's something missing. If we, if we've, if we said, if we, if we feel like we've crossed the finish line, well, that's not a biblical thought. That's not a biblical thought. Well, God still has you here. Um, in fact, this is almost the start of month two of the year, Right? So I bet there was three, four weeks ago, if I was here, and I had, I'm going to get a muted response because you're going to be embarrassed at this question. Who has a New Year's resolution? Go ahead, go ahead. Four of you in this entire room made a New Year's resolution. Okay, I see you, ma'am. Um, I think there was a few, thank you, I saw that. Um, I think there's a handful of you. And the reason is you're kind of like, it's, it's, I know, it's, was it January 25th today? Um, you're like, what are we doing? 28th, I can't keep track. Um, you're like, yeah, I had one. It's not going well. Okay, it, it, so like maybe I didn't have one. And so uh, mine were, at the beginning of the month, I was, uh, I'm joining with Suzanne and some people, uh, our, our children. Suzanne led the charge on this. We're reading through the Bible in a year. We're gonna stay on pace together. It's been great so far. Um, so far, so good on that one. And um, I also said I am going to weigh less than 190 pounds at the end of the year. So as far as you know, as far as you know, I'm going to do that, right? Because I won't check back with you. So far, so far, eh. Um, and then I also said I was going to do, because I was, my shoulder's been hurting, blah, 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 you know, aches and pains. Um, I was going to do 100 push-ups a day. I made it to like, I made it to like January 9th, Dan. January 9th. It's not bad. Not bad. So um, you, you get the idea. It's, it's, we, we need to kind of keep pushing a little bit. Um, let's see. Are we getting it right? Like we, you know, you, 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 had, some, you had some goals, uh, and, and maybe, maybe you still do. Maybe this is something that you, I want you to get to this place today. I want you to start asking this question. But like, are, like you, you start to ask the question, what's important to you? At the beginning of the year, you probably had a few things like, I really need to clean out this room. I really need to lose five pounds. I really need to call my sister and reconcile, I, whatever it might be, you know, and you, you start to have some goals and some resolutions, and maybe you don't call it that because then it lowers the stakes for you a little bit, but, you know, maybe I, I really kind of should us those nudges, and you're wondering, you're, you're, you're investing your emotional energy in different types of things, and you, and you start to realize that maybe the things that we're chasing after maybe aren't quite always worth it. Maybe, maybe the things that I'm putting up on the billboard for me, the, the goals that I have, maybe that's not the it that we should be chasing after. So the question, are we getting it right? If, you are, um, if you're familiar with the greatest movie ever made, Mr. Mom, by Michael Keaton, 
My favorite line to Mr. Mom is they're in the traffic line dropping kids off at school, and of course, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's been recently laid off from his job, and now Mr. Mom is now doing the work that, that Mom usually had to do, and he doesn't understand the dismissal and pick-up and drop-up process, and some, some blonde lady walks up to him in the rain with the lamb, you're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong, and I feel like sometimes, I feel like sometimes there's a voice in the back of your head that we sometimes suppress and you're wondering whether or not we're getting it right. In fact, the voice might be telling you you're doing it wrong. I want to talk a little bit today about um, two ditches, two ditches that I think that we fall in, and maybe there might be a third one as, as, I, as I consider it. Most, most issues in life, you can fall into the ditch on one side of the road or the other. And for those of you who are saying, hey, we haven't opened the Bible yet, I promise you we're open the Bible. I want to give you a thirst for what God's going to tell you, okay? Not just, not just telling stories. We felt there's a ditch on one side of the road, the unexamined life. And that's just status quo. What's next? Okay, pay the bill. All right, let's sit down. It's dinner time. Okay, whatever. It's weekend. I'll turn the TV on. It's the Ravens game today. Purple. Go Ravens. Okay. Um, I'm sorry about the Eagles, by the way. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I can. I saw different different types of facial reactions, and I can't process them all of them. Um, so the the unexamined life. It's a life where we never even get to the question of what is the it that you want to get right. The unexamined life, and then the other side of the road, the defeated life, where you're you're sure you're doing it wrong, and and you you feel discouraged. Um. You can't seem to get it off the ground. You're like, I can't even get the basics of life right, Chris. You're like, I can't even, I'm not, I, I, I am not thinking on this plane at all. So what I'm trying to stir up you today is that maybe, maybe there are some questions that we need. Maybe there's some different kinds of questions we need to ask. I think that there might even be a third ditch. There's no, I can't draw a third ditch. I don't know how that works. But there might even be a third ditch. And in America, we've been handed this dream called the retired life. And it's a dream where you kind of like finally get to kind of like, you know, take the pack off and you put the things aside. And it's, it's like this culturally celebrated coast that might last 10 or 20 or because we're relatively healthy and prosperous, 30 plus years of your life. Uh, maybe a third ditch. And I don't think any of these ditches is where we're supposed to stick, stick around. Um, I was reminded... We live down in Baltimore, and uh, if in Baltimore, there's a great hospital system down there. I know you guys got some good choices here in the in the uh, in the P area too. Um, we uh, we are heavy duty customers of the Johns Hopkins medical system. Okay, we have been there way too much um, through some highs and some lows, and uh, we ran into a guy at, at our one of our men's breakfasts once. And you know, what do you do? You know, the standard question when guys what do guys do when they don't know what to say? Well, what do you do for a living? And so he's well, I'm a data analyst, which is not exciting. Okay, Dan and I, well, for who? Johns Hopkins. I'm like, oh, well, tell me a little bit more about that because I care about what the work that, that Johns Hopkins do, does. And um, he starts kind of telling me some of the metrics. And if you've ever been into one of these major hospitals, Hopkins is one of the best hospitals in the world. What a blessing to live, you know, within a, within a you know, couple-hour drive of it. Um, they have, you know, U.S. News and World Reports, world's number one hospital, world's number two hospital in cardiology. Boom, boom, boom. It's like a hall of fame. And he just told me about this culture where they measure, they measure, they measure. And one of the things he said to me, he said, and I thought this was awesome. I think this is, um, 
This is the next slide. Chris, if it doesn't get measured, it doesn't matter. That's true. If you're not thinking about these questions, if you're not measuring somehow, if you don't have a roadmap of where you want to go, if you don't, if you a year later can't tell me if I've actually made some progress in cooperation with the Holy Spirit about where he wants to take me, if you can't measure it, if you're not paying attention to it, you are declaring by the steps of your life that it must not matter. So if it doesn't get measured, it doesn't matter. Um, Corporate America gets this. Okay, a little quiz. Okay, they have vision and mission statements. You guys are gonna, you guys are probably gonna nail a few of these. One or two of these might puzzle you. What 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 question? What company might this be? To accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. Remember, it's a vision. It's bigger than just the company. That's Tesla. Make sense? Accelerating a vision. Accelerating the transition to a sustainable energy. Okay. Remember, it's not just about the products they make. It's the vision of where they want to go. This is the next one. To help people throughout the world realize their full potential. It's a tech company. That's Microsoft. And, and you can say, you know, as much as we might be suspicious of big tech companies, like, they, they do that, don't they? That, that they, they put tools in our hands. Here's another one. I, th- I know you're going to get this one. To inspire and nurture the human spirit one person, one cup, and one neighborhood at a time. Starbucks. Okay. All right. Some of these are a little woke. Some of these we might have been like, oh, yeah, I don't know about that. But, like, but still, though, I mean, they, they, they have a vision. They're pointing somewhere. They're measuring something. Okay. How about this one? Um, to embed a barcode into every human forehead, willing or not. That's, that's Google. That's Google's actual. They don't, they don't publicize it, but Google wants to put a barcode on your head. I'm just kidding. Um, all right. There was more laughs in the beginning, Dan. I don't know. All right. Um, so I will always be grateful for the influences that, that Suzanne and I had in the early years of our parenting, even before Dan, Dan and Beth came along. Um, godly men and women, I trust that there are some of people in this room are doing this type of work in the lives of young people right now. Um, they, they kind of pressed into us that there was a, a calling on our life to raise up the four arrows that I showed you in that first picture that God had put into our quiver um, and to do it with a sense of wisdom and not in our own wisdom, um, but in God's kindness and, and really just asking the Holy Spirit, like, what is your mission for our family? There was a formative weekend for us. You guys familiar with Sandy Cove? Do we go south, north? Yeah, okay, so Sandy Cove, pretty big Christian retreat facility on the top of the Chesapeake Bay, water, fun and games, and they do summer camps. They do a lot of stuff, retreats. They used to have a family uh, mission camp, summer camp. I'm not sure what it was like, and it was a long weekend, and a couple of families from our church had kind of gone every year. It was one of the big things for the summer, and they go, oh, Chris and Suzanne, you got to come, you got to come. So we finally did, and this was, uh, Suzanne, the boys were young, like probably like, Eight, six, four, and three. No, nah, maybe a little older than that. It doesn't matter. Grade school age. And, uh, and they did a really good job of, of, of feeding into the moms and dads, separately talking to the kids. But several times where the families get together, and, they're gonna, and, and the goal was, the culminating activity was, you guys are going to do a, um, a, a poster that, that's going to mean something to your family. And you're going to commit in writing, commit in writing, key phrase, what makes your family unique. 
And so you're, there's a part where, hey, what are the things that challenge you? And what are the things that you celebrate? And we, you're naming these things. And like, it is not hard for a young family to talk about the things that challenge you, right? Okay, I was sitting behind a row of children that are challenging you right now. No, I'm, they're awesome. Um, Gavin was doing a really good, no, I see that. Look, Gavin, you were doing a good job leading your brother. He just wasn't listening, was he? Um, so, um, and, and we were, uh, so different sections, and we had little, like, uh, we like characters for mom and dad, and all, it's a QC kind of stuff. But the culminating activity, we were challenged to come up with a family mission statement. A family mission statement. And so this is what we came up with. It was tough. The, the boys weren't as much help as they should have been, right? This is mom and dad's job appropriately. If we come, this is what we came up with that day. Our family exists to be imitators of Christ so that others will seek him. That was the best we could do at that moment. Like that was, I, and I was proud of it. And here's what we did with the poster. We, did, we made a poster, it was, and it was up the door, the door that every time we left the house and every time we came back in, you had to pass by this poster. Kind of like the Notre Dame players when they go up the steps and, you know, you know, and they, they touch that sign, right? Like you had to go by this thing. And that, that family mission statement was up on the wall for like 10 years until we finally painted it was terrible. Yeah, we, it really, it was dirt everywhere. So we had to, uh, and, and so this was on our family's hearts. It was written down. It was in front of our eyes for 10 plus years. I want to suggest to you as we turn towards the scriptures that that mattered to us. And I think it might matter to you if you would follow along. Um, did Jesus embrace this idea of mission? Did he name his mission? Yes, right? Parting words, right? You guys, you guys have this, you guys have, depending on if you're an ESV, NIV, King James type person, you know, we could all say it together practically. But when Matthew 28 is parting words, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them and teach them everything I've told you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Right? So Jesus, embracing this idea of mission, specifying a mission, doesn't leave us kind of aimless. We know what the mission of his people and his church are. Um, he gives us a glimpse of vision at the end. He knows, you know where we're going. He gives John a lengthy vision in the book of Revelation. Do you want to pull it, up to pull it out for me? Uh, Revelation 21. We're going to read 1 through 7 real quick. This is where we're going. This is where God's people are going. This is where we're aiming Mission and vision, two slightly different ideas. John in Revelation 21, he sees a new heaven, a new earth, a first heaven, and a first earth had passed away. The sea was no more, and then he sees where it's all going. A holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, John says, saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man now. That's the definition of heaven, right? Where God and man can be together. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be their God. And what he's going to do, he's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. No more mourning. No more crying. No more pain. The former things have passed away. This is where it's headed. This is God's big picture redemptive story. This is the ark of where the whole story is going. And then he says something um, in Revelation, in a different part, he makes a promise as we go further down. In verse 7, 
not, not in this chapter, in the previous chapter. He says, to the one, to the one who is thirsty, to the one who is thirsty, I will give springs of living water. And so my question today, when we talk about mission and we talk about vision is, are you still thirsty? And if you're not thirsty, can we wake that thirst up again? Is God faithful enough to say, Lord, I don't know if I'm thirsty. I don't even know if I have a mission or a vision. Maybe I've lost this step. Maybe I am just going through the paces. Can you wake something up inside of me? Is that the kind of prayer that God would want to answer? Yes. Yes, there are prayers that God particularly loves to answer. He's waiting on this kind of prayer. And this is the prayer of your pastor, I know what his heartbeat is. I, I, I know he has a vision for, your, for, for grace in the community. Um, he, has a, he has a vision that, that, that this church would make a difference, that, that you would see yourselves on mission, that you would have a vision of what this church might be five or ten years from now, that you would be a beacon of hope, that that, that, that baptismal font would need to stay full week over week over week. Like that is possible here. That, 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 that those are the kinds of prayers that God would love to answer. And so I am grateful for, for just, just because God has placed someone in your midst to lead you, to shepherd you, and they're telling us stories of how they have been embraced, which thank you for that, because it's tough. It's tough when you're the new pastor and you come in and there was, um, there, there was a, uh, a leader beforehand that was celebrated, a shepherd of many years, and you guys have loved on them. Thank you for that. That does not always happen. But by, in God's will, he brought someone to your midst with a vision. And so I want to remind you of that today, but I also want to transfer that mentality to your homes. And that's really what we're going to talk about here in Nehemiah, see what we can learn. Um, are we doing it right? Okay. So we're going to talk a little bit about Nehemiah 10. We're jumping ahead a few chapters in the story. Um, and uh, this is something I'm passionate about. I'm the family life pastor, pastor back at Perry Hall Baptist, and I love talking about this <clears throat> living life on purpose when it comes to the children, the grandchildren, the nieces, the nephews, the family that God has given you, and indeed even the church family. If you're at a point in your life geographically or just because of the story of your life, that there are, there are, there's family here that you could join in in their vision as well. So we're going to look at a story from the Old Testament. You know this. You know the story of Nehemiah. You know where we are in biblical history. It's about 450 B.C. We are at the final stages of the exile, and God has successfully used uh, a few men, Zerubbabel and Ezra, and now Nehemiah. Nehemiah has the boldness to go to Arxerxes, and he says, yes, and you can go back to Jerusalem. His heart was broken for that city, and he's going to rebuild this wall. Okay, just a really quick recap. <clears throat> I know you guys are, are tracking along. And so... Nehemiah serving in the Persian government, he hears that the walls of Jerusalem are in deep disrepair and it becomes his vision that he will be part of the solution. He's going to rebuild the wall and he gets permission to do just that. So let's go to chapter 8 real quick and then we're going to spend more time in 10. So chapter 8, if you guys would all open with me to there, if you're, maybe you're already there. <clears throat> 50,000 exiles, they're settled back in the towns of Israel. They're just about finished the wall at this point. And Ezra says, it's time to worship. We have something to celebrate. God has been good to us. The people gather at a gate, at a gate east of Jerusalem and uh, Ezra reads the law. And he reads, when I say like he reads all, like he reads the whole book of Moses. Okay, so you guys are gonna be out of here if I'm on time in about 
two and a half hours, right? Is that about what we have, Dan? No, he reads, he reads the book, he, he reads the entire book of Moses. And if you, and if you, you know, once you get there and you'll be reminding yourself of this, um, men and women and children who were old enough to understand, they were standing together for something like six hours. Six hours, which would, I mean, think, think Dan, of all the things you could teach these guys if that was your norm here, all right? I, I'm, I'm gonna put that, maybe that's my vision for grace of effort, all right? Fair enough. No, I mean, that's a long time. Something was going on there. Something was going on. He not only read the law, but gave them a sense of what the law said. Okay. And he declares the day to be a day. Nehemiah then declares the day to be a day of celebration. The people celebrate the Feast of Booze for seven days. Okay. You do not have to feel guilty about all the things that we did over Christmas time. We're supposed to eat and have fun, and we're supposed to celebrate the things of God. They commemorate Israel's time in the wilderness. And on the eighth day, they regather. The mood has shifted. Chapter 9 is different. God in his goodness had allowed them to celebrate. But now in chapter 9, the mood has shifted and God has given them an awareness that it is time to repent. Okay. And once again, they read from the book of the law for a quarter of the day. This happens twice. Then for another quarter of the day, and what's a quarter of the day? It's like six hours again. They confess corporately and they worship. And they stand together and they recount what God had done, has done in their lives from Abraham into captivity and the Exodus and etc. Into the promised land despite all their sin. And something stirs inside of this group of men. I'm telling you all this for a reason to lead up connecting to this idea of having a vision and writing it down. Something stirs inside of those men. And that takes us to the very end of chapter 9. Ready? Their gratitude, their testimony, their repentant hearts. All had led to this. It led them to a place where they were willing to declare their it. Are we getting it right? Let's name our it. Okay. Chapter 9, at the end, verse 38. Because of all this, because of all that we've been through, because of all that we've heard, we've been standing for hours. We better get something out of this. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. I think these men were wise. And when was the last time you wrote down anything besides a grocery list? Like, we, we're just out of this habit. We have these, these devices in our pockets that aren't going away but they have this kind of sort of tyranny over the way we think and the way we process information. And, and we don't write things down very much. Like in, in all seriousness, there's going to be a handful of names. Has anyone in the past few months written somebody a letter? Like, I see, not bad, guys, not bad. I, I see about 10 hands, okay? In the past, uh, in the past in the, just this morning, has anyone sent a text yeah, right, all of us almost. Like, you can't help but communicate with it. It's just that they, we are so hardwired towards this temporary form of communication, and it eats up time, and it eats up bandwidth, and eats up mental energy, and we very rarely get around to writing things down. It's kind of permanent. It has a sense of uh, import, right? Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. And so today, we're approximately 2,500 years later from this story. We know about this. Why do we know about it? Because someone wrote it down. Someone wrote it down. 
And I don't know if anyone's going to be talking about Chris Harding 2,500 years from now. I don't think so. I doubt it. I really doubt it, unless, unless I mess up gloriously, right? Um, <clears throat> and probably true for all of us. But I am telling you today, what you write down matters. What you write down matters. And then the beginning of chapter 10, and I'm not going to read them. There's 84 names. Remember how they're not going to remember Chris Harding? We, we don't read, like, I can't even tell, I'm a football fan, I can't even tell you who won the Super Bowl seven or eight years ago. Was that around the time the Eagles won their first one? You guys might know that. Okay, but like, I, much less, let's just, who was the MVP? Who was the quarterback? Like, I don't care. I, I'm a fan and I don't care. Like, we don't remember anything, even the stuff we think is super important. Almost all of you will probably be watching a football game a couple Sundays from now and eating some nachos and all that kind of stuff. And like, a year or two from now, you won't remember anything that happened. But we remember this 2,500 years later because someone had the vision, the sense that it was important enough to write it down and make a firm commitment, a firm covenant in writing. And in the process, what they did, what they wrote down was their, they declared who they were. They named their keystone habits. You know, you know what keystone habits are? The, the kind of habits like when you wake up and you make your bed first thing, it's a keystone habit because it kind of gives you a sense of order for the rest of the day. Um, and uh, every, mom in the, every mom in the room said, amen. Yes, did you write that down? Okay. Um, there are things in our lives that matter, that order and structure our lives, okay? They give our sense, you know, they, they, that, uh, that, that really are maybe building blocks towards the mission and vision that we're going to talk about. So I'm going to read Nehemiah 10, 28 through 37, and we're going to start to evaluate whether or not, whether or not this sounds like the kind of thing that we would say out loud. Okay, so that's one of the filters I want to give you. But this is what was important to them. This is the obligations of the covenant. This is what they wrote down that day. Okay? It says, The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God, and their wives and their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath. It was a commitment to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord. The Lord, our Lord, and his rules and his statutes. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. All the dads are like, that's right. And if the peoples of the land bring, son, if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. We will forego the crops of the seventh year and the, exact, the exaction of every debt. Verse 32. Hang in there with me. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. But the showbread and the regular grain offering, this is very Old Testament, right? The, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God according to our Father's houses at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God. This is a lot. As it is written on in the law, we obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law, 
and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks, and finally to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil to the priests of the chambers of the house our God to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all, all our towns where we labor. And right now you're saying, why did you read that? That was really long. That's not how we think. That's so Old Testament. We're not bound by any of that stuff. I'm gonna meet you halfway on that. I understand why you're thinking that. But this is why. This is why I think it matters today, okay? It's a little wordy for a modern mission statement, right? We're not gonna fit all that on a sign. Fair enough? Nine verses, yeah, it's just not gonna roll off the tongue. Um, and isn't it a little, little legalistic, you might think? Like, I mean, I, goodness gracious, that's a lot of things you gotta do to make God happy. And, I, and that's not the covenant we live under, people. You know that. If you, are, if you have been marked by Jesus' grace, there is no laundry list of things that you must do to please him, that you must do to gain his acceptance. He is he's offering you forgiveness and entrance into his family as an act of love, and you do not show up to him clean. He cleans you. Okay, so don't get, don't, don't sound bite this message. Don't say, oh, I guess I gotta do all these things. But our lives should be marked as different once you have been marked by the cross of Christ. And there are things that I think we would do well maybe to literally commit to in writing. And that is where I'm driving. That's where I'm driving, okay? You get, you get to craft your own mission statement from the overflow of your worship, guided by the Holy Spirit, within the confines of what the new covenant says. You don't have to be just like these men, but I do think they were wise. This is how they understood their relationship to God in the ways that God had revealed himself progressively at that point, but we have a different type of relationship a different type of love relationship. And uh, by the way, I don't think they were that far off if you discern it down. They're, in the handout, we're gonna go just over a few things. This was their it, okay? It says all the things that we will do. Verse 29, we will walk in God's law. That's a pretty good idea. There's a whole section of God's law, no matter how many theologians wanna debate and dice and slice and categorize the law. There's a whole section of God's law that is active and vibrant and is binding on you today, Christian. So they said they will walk in God's law. That's verse 29. They're gonna keep themselves from the pagans. The pagans don't marry their daughters. Boy, this is an easy one because I get to look out and I don't know your stories. I get to say something hard because I don't have to kind of go, oh, I might offend, uh... And some of you, some of you and some of your families, you are, you are yoking yourselves to people who do not know the light. And that is not wise. It is not God's plan and it will hurt you. And there are some of you that have nieces, sons, daughters, nephews that are kind of taking steps in this direction and you're wondering, should I say something? How do I say something? God, I don't, I don't. She seems so happy. How do I take this away? And I'm telling you, that it would be an act of love to pray into that situation and say something. They're not crazy here. This isn't such a bad idea. It says uh, they're going to parent. Oh, they're going to give generously. This is verse 32 and 34 and 35. They're going to give generously to their church, their treasure. That's verse 32. Their time and labor, verse 34. Their best, not the leftovers. That's the next one. 
This is all good stuff tucked away into language that we sometimes might read over as like, I don't know if this is making sense to me. Verse 36, they're going to parent in a way that acknowledges that their children belong to the Lord. And those four arrows that we have, we're in the process of launching them. They're leaving us. Our life is different than it was five years ago. Is anyone in that phase of life? You're meant to launch them. They don't belong to you. They were a gift. Most of the time. Yeah. Talks about the importance of the temple and the fact that we want to gather and the fact that we want to be in God's presence together. And it's always about the we. It's never about what others should do. It's never about legalistic burdens where we have to put glasses on a filter of like, wow, they don't live like we do. It's about what we will do. We will do. Because we are God's people. We are, we are marked by his love. So, no matter where you are in your walk, no matter where you are seasonally, sprint, spring, summer, winter, fall, of your lives, I think that I want to ask you today to maybe convert all the wouldas and the shouldas and the couldas. Because I think God had a vision of you when He formed you, when He breathed life into you. And it's something called the abundant life. It's a life of impact and fruit. Yes, in in Grace Fellowship, in, in, in Effort of Pennsylvania. No one's going to know your name 2,500 years from now, but He wants an abundance for you at 75 at 15 and everywhere in between. And you get to write the vision and the mission. But I want to say that maybe you should write it down. What would, what would you in five years say? Please write it down today. Please commit to this. Please make it worth something. Please, like, have you ever seen, who's seen Saving Private Ryan? It was a great movie on so many levels. At the end, they're on the beaches and, and, and uh, um, he, the Private Ryan has been saved, um, and he's an old man now. And he's looking his wife in the eyes, and, and he's like, tell me. Tell me I'm a good man. Tell me this was worth it. Tell me the sacrifice that I just talked to you about, as he presumably he had told the story of the, his rescue to his wife and his family there on the beach. He's in tears, like, tell me it mattered. And what I'm saying is God says, you matter, and your life matters, and you weren't here to live in a ditch. You weren't here to have an unexamined life. You weren't here to coast out the final 20 years of your life. There are people even in your midst right now that you could be pouring into. God says, what would, what would you in five years, do you, have you ever been to a funeral, a discouraging funeral? Have you ever been to a hopeful funeral? I know you've been to a funeral. I've been to a lot lately that comes along with being a pastor. Oh my goodness, it's so exciting when you go to a funeral of someone who loved the Lord vibrantly. People can't say enough about them. And you're like, I so hope my day looks a little bit like this. Because there's legacies of love and encouragement and behind the scenes things that you never knew that that person was doing, but they did because they made it the mission of their life to be an encourager, to be a giver, to say the hard things in a gentle way just to be present in the hospital, whatever it might take, you can fill in the blanks. And, and I'm not asking you to be just like me. The world doesn't need more of me. The world needs you, and the world needs your gifting. And the you in five years is saying, please just write it down, commit, ask God what it is that you should be striving after, what your mission or your vision statement is. And men, with your helpmates with you, 
You get to speak for your family. Much in the same way that Dan gets to, before God, speak for this church with the, with the consultation, the wisdom of the elders and, and, and the people here that, that are part of the body. But you know that Dan is, has a special weight on him and he, he gets to wrestle with God about where is this church going? You family heads get to do the same thing. Or not. And you in five years can have drifted down the stream of life Maybe I get there, maybe I don't. I'm just asking you, don't settle. The Lord has something awesome for you. Wrapping it up. I've been blessed, I'm passionate about this topic. Maybe you can tell. I've talked about it once or twice to my people too. And um, the, the little slide in the corner, I don't expect you to read it. That was the first time I ever talked about this. It was before when we had a different thing. It said, our family exists. Um, it, it, was the, it was the mission statement. It was, we had a mission statement. I'm sorry, get it out, Chris. And we knew that we needed an update as we were entering in a new phase of life. We needed to have a vision, something that was bigger than us, especially if we launched these guys off. And I don't have day-to-day say-so on what they're doing anymore. But I wanted to live my life in a way, along with Suzanne, where we had a vision for where we would be launching these guys downrange. So this is our vision statement. Maybe you could use something like this. Maybe you could borrow this. I would praise God if you think there's anything about this that's wise, but you edit it, you change it, you put it and put it on your wall somewhere. Our family exists for the glory of God, and I don't, that's not a throwaway line. That's exactly why we're here, to enhance God's glory. And our vision is to be used mightily in the Savior's plan to redeem generations of hardings to follow. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you guys where you are in your phase of life. Almost everybody in this room has a picture like this up on their wall somewhere, right? Maybe it's your wedding day. Maybe it's your son or daughter or somebody close to you. This was last June. Um, Josh and Jamie got married. And um, I am grateful that someone told me this. 20 years ago, and that we, with, under, with God's grace, imperfectly, imperfectly, we launched, we walked, we knew where we were going. God has blessed it imperfectly along the way, as it might look, but he knows what he's doing. Just may I suggest that as you're writing this, there's probably a North Star. There's two... You have a great commandment. We already talked about that in Matthew 28, but we also have, uh, we, um, I'm sorry, we talked about the great commission. We, there is also a great commandment that your lives are to be marked by love. And I don't know you, sir, but when people talk about you, they should be talking about how loving you are. That's what Jesus' commandment over your life is. How he can't stop talking about the love he has for the people in his lives. When he talks about God, I can tell he lights up. He loves his creator. That's your North Star So we're all headed about that same way, but you get to chart your individual course. But I promise you, if you don't write it down, you don't know where you're going. So that is my challenge to you today from the pages of Nehemiah. I am grateful to those men and for their example. For these guys that have gone before us, will you pray with me? Father, I just pray that today that there are some hearts in the room that were listening on a deeper level. Lord, maybe we have some people in the room that are drifting. 
Maybe we have some people in the room that are coasting. Maybe we have some people in the room that are just in a place of discouragement like, Chris, I can't even pay my bills. I don't know what you're talking about. Father, you know their needs. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would meet them in a place of grace, Lord. Thank you that you, you have a way of picking us up and binding up our wounds and just, just looking in our eyes and saying, I approve of you, my daughter. But Father, I pray that today, just as an act of love, we might really be confronted with the fact that you have given us some of, this, some of the people in this room are gonna be on this planet for 50 more years or more. May we know where we're going. May it be a prayer-soaked, gospel-centered vision towards an abundant life. Thank you for your word, Father. Amen. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for joining us. If you would like prayer, you can send your prayer request into prayer at gfchurch.net and we will pray for you. If you like this message, don't forget to subscribe on the podcast app, Google or Spotify. Give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram. We look forward to seeing you next week.